Bad news on my TV screen, bad news on the magazines, bad news on the newspaper, bad news on the elevator, bad news on the street, bad news on my car, bad news on my feet, bad news out of the bar. And good afternoon. This is Alicia Bales here in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax for the local coronavirus update, which is supported by our members and the Ukiah Community Concert Association, bringing live music to Mendocino County for more than 70 years. UCCA announces the next virtual recital will be Quebecois folk group Levant du Nord, February 7th at 2 p.m., Tickets to the recital provide 30 days access to the performance on Ukiah Community Concerts' YouTube channel. Ticket information at ukiahconcerts.org. Also, I want to let you know that after the coronavirus update today, I will be talking live with Deanna Contreras, who's the spokesperson for PG&E, about the power outages in the county from Tuesday's snowstorm. So stay tuned for that. We're going to have the latest from PG&E about progress on restoring power for those of you in the county who are still suffering through uh, no power at home. And she's going to let us know when to expect to get your lights back on. So stay tuned for that. But for now, it is the special edition of the Friday Local Coronavirus Update. Hey, Drew, what are you doing here? Hello, Alicia. How are you? There you are. Hello, Alicia. How are you? Oh, I'm just peachy. (laughs) (laughs) And special only because I'm here and the county's not, I take it? Well, I've heard this thing lately that's called um, I'm I'm pandemic fine. I'm pandemic good. It's the new baseline. Yeah, it's it's like, yeah, everything is kind of horrible and we don't know when this is going to be over and we're struggling and can't go outside can't go to you know see our friends but you know other than that i'm great how are you <laughs> i'm i'm doing just fine thank you oh good all right shall we run the numbers and then yeah we'll just mention that um this is uh supposed to be our time with the the county and we thought we would have the public health officer here but you're here i'm here I just ready heard, to step in at a moment's notice, the which may be a strategically poor decision on their part because it leaves them wide open to criticism from me. Why would you? Why would you criticize? I don't really True. much. Okay, only Enough when it's that. truly deserved. Let's get to the real bad news. All right, the real bad news is actually not that bad. Today we had a big data dump from Johnson and Johnson. I'll get to that in just a second. That's very very good news. Uh, the good news locally and statewide is the numbers are continuing to come down. Uh, we are now well under um, 20 a day. We're aver- actually averaging 18.4 new cases a day in Mendocino County, which is quite a bit better than where we had been. Oh, um, flashback to like before Thanksgiving. Yeah, exactly. We did add, since I was here on Monday, we've added 85 cases in the four days. So we're now up to 3,363 COVID positive cases in Mendocino County. We have 16 people hospitalized, which is a pretty robust number, two in the ICU, um, and about 525 either in isolation or quarantine the little bit of criticism I have for the public health department is we still don't have testing data, although a little bird has told me that might be coming back. Um, but our positivity, which is completely uninterpretable without knowing how many tests we're actually running, is still sitting at a quite high number of 7.1%. But again, that mean- number is more or less meaningless without knowing what, how many tests that 7% represents. Right, and some anecdotal reporting I've heard is that the testing is way down. 
that the numbers of people coming in to get tested in Ukiah are, is way down. I think testing has fallen off nationally as people are now putting their energy into worrying and jockeying for a vaccine. Um, so the big the big thing all summer and into the fall was when and where and how we can get tested, and now it's when and where and how we can get vaccinated. And much like the testing, uh, the vaccine rollout has been disjointed at best and severely constricted by supply still. Statewide, uh, quite good news. We're down almost 50% in statewide cases uh, over the two-week running average. Um, and just over the last day or two, we dropped under 20, only 20,000 cases a day. It was close to 40,000 for nearly a month. Uh, hospitalization rate, which is the metric that I most closely watch, is down 18% in California. Um, wow, that's which is awesome. Very, very good news. Nationwide, we're down about 33% over two weeks. So, still quite good. Um, hospitalization rate nationwide is also dropping. So, for the moment, um, the mad surge that we saw starting to build right after Thanksgiving and through the New Year's is receding. All eyes now, I think, are turning to the British and either the South African or the Brazilian variant, depending on how you want to talk about it. Um, the South African one appears to be fairly um, worrisome, at least what we can tell at this point. And it's probably unfair to say either of these are British or South African. Those countries are actually doing genetic sequencing of the viruses, whereas this very wealthy country has barely done any whatsoever. So we're still more or less flying blind. There are disjointed labs across the country that are doing some sequencing of the various strains of COVID, but there isn't any sort of national platform to be getting that done and analyzing it in a strategic way. So, and the thing that's so concerning about the South African, quote unquote, South African strain is that it appears to not be as um, the vaccine appears to not protect as well against it. Is that right? That's correct. It doesn't seem to be. Um, it, it seems to be able to uh, infect people um, a bit more effectively, um, even if they are vaccinated. There's also some data. It's also more infectious, um, just in general, vaccinated or not. And I think it's ultimately going to be found to also be a little bit more. Um, deadly as well, although that data is still quite preliminary. Um, so worrisome sort of in, in three different fronts um, and almost certainly is amongst us um, in the United States, perhaps not up here in Melo Mendo, but uh, certainly in the United States somewhere. We just haven't found it yet. But the good news from Johnson & Johnson is their vaccine data finally dumped this morning, um, showing really quite remarkably good results. Um, not the home run of 95% eff efficacy that we saw with Moderna and Pfizer, but this is a single-dose, very stable um, vaccine that was shown to be 70% effective uh, with just one dose. Um, and about 85% effective at preventing severe disease. So that's that's actually very, very good news. That's more effective than your typical flu shot. Those shots run between 40 and 60% effective. Additionally, it's important to realize that this is a one-dose vaccine. Their trial um, was designed to test it as a one-dose vaccine. Pfizer and Moderna could have done it likewise as well, and they probably would have shown about the same efficacy. So Johnson Johnson is already rolling out a two-dose trial or a booster shot trial to see whether it gets it up to the 95%, but it's been proven to work with just a single dose. So that's very, very good news. Okay, so my first response when I heard the news about the Johnson & Johnson 
efficacy rate of 60. I heard it was 65. I like to hear 70, but 65. I thought, oh, yeah, that's the one that all of us poor people are going to get. Like, the, I, I hope I can get the Pfizer vaccine before Johnson & Johnson comes out because it's like the second second grade, you well, know, you know this, grade B. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's actually a fair um, anxiety. Um, I, I, and as we roll through this vaccination process, I think we're going to see that it evolves quite a bit, particularly with these new strains. I mean, the flu vaccine has to be tweaked every single year to try to get the new variations of the flu season, um, you know, variant of the year. And likewise, I think we're going to see booster coronavirus uh, vaccinations required as we start to see these new strains gain a foothold. And, you know, if they are that much better adapted um, to spreading from person to person, then they're going to have a significant evolutionary advantage, particularly when we're adding, you know, 250,000 new cases a day in this country. There's just a lot of opportunity for them to spread like wildfire if we're still in the midst of very high rates of new cases. So I think, you know, even people who get the two dose Moderna and Pfizer are likely going to need another dose next fall at some point to vaccinate against the multiple new strains that will have been, you know, solidified and taken root in this country. Oh, wow. Wonderful. So we will be doing this show forever. Uh, Hopefully not three times a week. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is this something that our kids and grandkids are going to have to get vaccinated for forever as well? Yeah, this will probably become much like the, it may be a seasonal annual um, vaccine, or it might be every two or three years where you get a booster shot, or it might be every seven. A lot of that's going to depend on how much control we gain over this virus. But this virus is is with us for the duration. It's never going to go away. It's the new normal. Yeah. Um, Well, the county put out a press release this week announcing the scheduling of three vaccination events so shall i go ahead and announce those i think you should people get their pencils ready get your pencils ready uh they're they're doing a pretty good job of now announcing in advance so that's good so we'll make sure to pass that along to you so today was the first event it was from 9 to 2 30 a first dose event for in-home support service workers at redwood empire fairgrounds um the second one is coming up uh Tuesday, February 2nd, it's another first dose event, also for in-home support service workers. It's going to be at the Mendocino High School gym from 11 to 1.30. Uh, That's Tuesday, February 2nd. And then the third event is a second dose event. It's going to be on Wednesday, February 3rd. And it's for those who received their first Moderna vaccine on January 4th at either the Redwood Empire Fairgrounds or the Donovan Room in the Mendocino County Sheriff's Department. It will also include those who are vaccinated with Moderna on January 7th at Redwood Empire Fairgrounds. And this second dose event is taking place Wednesday the 3rd at the Redwood Empire Fairgrounds from 9 to 4. So if you're getting your second dose vaccine that day on the 3rd, next Wednesday, bring your vaccination card along with your ID and all of these events are by appointment only, so you don't just want to show up. Uh, they're only open to those in the qualifying professions and tiers. And you can actually make an appointment online now at the county's vaccination page. That's at mendocinocounty.org uh, slash community slash novel dash coronavirus slash COVID-19 vaccinations. But it's actually pretty easy to find on the website if you just click on the COVID-19 uh, link at the top of the the homepage. Yeah? Oh, and if you don't have the internet, you can call 472-2663 to make your appointment. 
excellent. Yeah. The, the county's doing a great job um, getting the vaccine out as soon as they get it in. It's not like we're sitting on stockpiles anymore, which is both appropriate and necessary. It's it's really good to see. Yeah. And California's finally, I think, getting to that point as well. But Mendocino County has definitely been doing better on an average than our fellow counties in California. Yeah, that's a really good context to keep in mind when we're tearing our hair out about all of this stuff. Well, there's just not enough yet we're is actually the problem. Doing yeah. well relative yeah. to other counties. But Dr. Lovato was on on Wednesday while you were out. And He's a much more optimistic fellow. It was the sunshiniest show. Yeah. He was very optimistic. Yeah. It was a whole different tone. So um, I, I, I felt pretty good about the state of things in, in the <laughs> county. Um, all right. You want to, should we go ahead and open up the phone lines? Sure. All right, this is the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax this Friday afternoon. And the phone number here is 707-895-2448. That's 707-895-2448. We'll take our first call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. You are live on the air, caller. I know I have the right button. Okay, call back. I don't know what's going on. That's fine. We'll take the next call. But before we do, um, I just want to emphasize when I was talking about the Johnson & Johnson, there are a couple other things besides the fact that it's a single-dose uh, vaccine. is It's also quite stable. Um, and so you, you refer to it as the poor person's vaccine. It certainly is the developing world's vaccine because it does not require freezer uh, capacity. It can simply sit in a fridge for up to three months. So you're not going to have these scenarios where a freezer breaks or or, you know, people transporting the vaccine get stuck in a snowstorm and they have to walk down a highway giving shots in the arm. It, it'll be much oh, easier yeah. to <laughs> it'll, be, yeah. it'll be much easier to store and thus administer to far-reaching corners of the globe. So, very good news there. It's not an mRNA vaccine either, right? It's not. Um, it is a adenovirus DNA vaccine, um, which then triggers the body into using mRNA within the body to produce the spiky proteins that characterize the COVID, um, thus triggering an immune response to those artificially induced spiky proteins that are produced within our body. Does it have dead virus in it? It has adenovirus in it, uh, which is a one of the vi- it's part of the family that causes the common cold, but the virus has been deactivated, so it actually can't reproduce itself. All it can do is allow the reproduction of the DNA that triggers the production of this protein. So it's it's a vaccine, actually. They have been studying adenovirus vaccines for quite a while, um, but there, I don't think there's any major vaccine that's based on exactly this uh, methodology. The AstraZeneca one that's been in use now for over a month in Britain is a similar type of vaccine, and the Sputnik vaccine in Russia is also um, a very similar vaccine. All right, let's see if we have a caller now. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, I've um, been trying to get on for a long time. Thank you both for their show. We look forward to this every week. And um, once again, I'm going to ask about getting a vaccine. Um, 75, 76 years old, um, you know, we're on the list of places. Like, you know, um, how do we do this? You know, they're supposed to be 65 and older. Um, what's the possibility of getting a, a shot somewhere? Yeah. yeah, so that's that's a good question. It's really, I think, the question on the back of everybody's mind. Um, you know, and the county is starting to 
rolled out for people just based on the age criteria, which has been stretched by California all the way down to 65. I think there's an emphasis on the 75 and older first, but there's not any sort of hard line that the county's drawing, I don't think. Um, I would recommend, I would recommend, I don't know where you are in the county, I don't need to know. Um, but, but a lot of the, a lot of the, um, healthcare centers, so the federally qualified healthcare centers are setting up a data bank of people who would qualify and will reach out to people when they are qualified to get vaccinated. Um, so I don't know if you go to one of those healthcare centers for your primary care, but even if you don't, they're willing to take your name and put you um, on the list to be contacted. So that's one option. The other option is going to simply and unfortunately uh, require you're keeping your ear to the ground to see when right, and where the right. county is going to be rolling it out for the 75 and plus age uh, cohort. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to uh-huh. happen, I think, fairly soon. We really didn't get much vaccine into the county this week, and Actually, not right. all that much last week as well, but I anticipate sort of waves of vaccine arrival um, in a very difficult, if not impossible, manner uh, to predict. So it's just going to require, you know, it, what you've been doing um, on an ongoing basis. Again, though, as long as you're doing all the right things while waiting, I know everybody wants to get vaccinated, Mm -hmm. but once you get vaccinated, you still have to keep doing everything that you've been doing pre-vaccine. So it's not going to change anything until enough of us get the vaccine and this virus starts to have a lower incidence. Okay. Thanks very much. You're welcome. And, uh, and it's, okay. it's just, you know, it's it reflects the times when, when you're looking forward to a coronavirus show on the radio. I just yes. <laughs> have to say. But I appreciate the sentiment. We're glad that you're listening. Yes. For sure. Thanks for the call. Also, uh, Adventist Health announced today a new website uh, for people to get email notifications. It's an email notification sign-up. I've only seen uh, seen it through Facebook. They put the link up on their Facebook page, but that's another place you might check out if you mm-hmm. want to put your name everywhere to get notifications, along with Ted Williams's website. Yeah, vaccinatemendo.com. Calm, I think it I think is. That's right. Yeah, and just I mean, couldn't hurt to just no. I would. Sign up. I mean, if if I weren't vaccinated, and if I were sixty five and up right now, I would put my name into every ring there is out there. Call uh, every clinic. No, you're not supposed to call the clinic. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't spend too much time on it, but I would just make sure that I have optimized my possibility of getting notified. Yeah. All right. Let's take our next caller. Whoops. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Yes. Hi. Um, I was calling. My first question is, as I understand it, there's only uh, Pfizer and Moderna uh, vaccines being distributed at this time. Is that right? In the U.S., yes. Okay. Uh, Do you have any information about uh, other vaccines that might be coming? Well, as I just mentioned, um, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is going to be applying for Um, approval probably by the end of next week. That approval process will probably take about three weeks. So I think by the end of February, this Johnson Johnson vaccine will be approved. They have the capacity and actually have contracted to provide 100 million doses to the U.S. by June. Um, And so that's... Is that that an mRNA vaccine? No, it is not. It's an adenovirus vaccine. Oh, okay. So 100 million doses, it's a single-dose vaccine, so that actually would have the... Yeah. We would have the 
quantity sufficient to vaccinate a third of the country, more or less, um, just with right. this one vaccine. Um, yeah, that would be fantastic, and it's one shot. And um, okay, well, that's. Uh, em- have you heard anything about uh, the possibility of uh, the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine yeah, being yeah, the, available? Yeah, the AstraZeneca vaccine, there are a couple things holding it up. One is they sort of bungled their clinical trial, and I think that the FDA is sort of reluctant to uh, grant approval. And then secondly, actually, the EU now is trying to keep all of their doses in their in in the block um, under a contractual arrangement that they have with AstraZeneca. So even if the FDA were to move to approve this vaccine, it's not entirely clear that we would get very many um, in the U.S. Um, and so that that are any of these vaccines available privately? Uh, privately through meaning you can purchase them. No, no, these all have to be distributed through the federal government. Um, so far, so far they have okay. All right, so Johnson and Johnson and that's the uh, next one. Novavax, yeah, Novavax is you know looking to be promising, but we they're probably at least a month behind. Uh, they're not quite as big as Johnson Johnson in terms of production capabilities. But once Johnson Johnson throws their hat in the ring, um, these three companies are going to be able to, I think, get us to a fairly high degree of vaccination um, right by okay. summer. All right, great. Thanks so much. All right. Big help. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Hmm. Everybody's just falling strange. away. I think yeah. there must be something going on with the phone. So sorry about that. Be patient, callers. 895-2448. We'll get to you as soon as we can. Let's take our next call. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Hi. I'm sorry if I missed this part. I tuned in a little bit late. Sorry if I make you repeat it. But they're saying that because of all these new different variations coming from other countries, that I'm waiting for my second shot of Moderna. Mm-hmm. Are we going to need a booster? And my second question, Dr. Colfax, is are you ever going to call me? <laughs> I All have right. to say it over the air because I don't know how to get hold of you. All right. Well, I, I will call you when I have time privately. Okay. Um, as to your booster question about the Moderna or the yeah. Pfizer, because those are interchangeable in terms of how they've been engineered, um, the answer currently is no, but I wouldn't be surprised if by the fall there will be a push to get a booster shot, depending on how different and how virulent um, these newly emerging strains are. But we just don't have the data yet. Okay, but so for right now, two shots should protect you as long as you do all the other things we're supposed to do. Yeah, no, the, the, the two-shot regimen of these two vaccines that we currently have available offers extremely high level of protection. It takes about a week after your second shot to get to that point, um, two weeks if you want to be really careful. Um, but that protection is still quite robust, even if we were to have some of these other strains um, start to arrive in California. Okay, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks for the call. Hello, caller, you are live on the very loud in the background. Oh, hello? Hello? Hi. Go ahead, you're live. Um, my question is, um, I'm a nurse who works in Lake County and lives in Mendocino County, and um, I actually just got back from Africa. I was um, there doing a nursing internship in Kenya for a month, and um, I missed the, uh, my employer got the vaccine in Lake County. Um, I missed it by two days, and um, now that I'm back, 
day, my employer says that they don't have the vaccine. Um, for me, um, it was distributed by Lake County Public Health, and um, I'm having a really difficult time trying to get the vaccine now that I'm back. Um, so I heard about the Mendocino event that's happening for the in-home um, care workers, and I'm wondering if me being a nurse, if I would qualify for that. Um, and then, I, I mean, yeah, I, that's really my main question. All right, so... In general, as we go through these tiers, um, you know, we, we did frontline health care workers first back in December. Those frontline health care workers who decided to forego initial vaccination are still qualified to show up and get vaccinated in an expedited way um, at any one of these vaccine events. And so you should be able to either contact your Lake County Department of Public Health or over here in our county, if presuming that you're a working nurse, um, then you would vol- you would qualify as a frontline healthcare worker and should um, you know basically leapfrog to the front of the line again um, where you would have originally been if you'd gotten vaccinated back in December or early January. So that that shouldn't be a problem. You qualify by the by the fact that you are an employed nurse uh, delivering health care in this county, um, and thus you should be able to get vaccinated more or less at any one of these vaccination events that's occurring uh, throughout the county or even in Lake County. That at least is the way it should be functioning. Whether the person who is you know doing the enrollment paper understands that or not is another question. Um, but in general, if people who are in the higher tiers have not gotten the vaccine for whatever reason, and then they decide to opt in for a vaccine, they are allowed to opt in at that point. Great. Um, my, my last question is, um, you know, traveling to Africa during this time, I mean, traveling period, it, it was really, really difficult with COVID. Um, they required, you know, the, the Kenyan government required a um, negative uh, te- proof of test within 96 hours um, prior to entering the country. And then I, I understand the United States is now requiring um, tests uh, as of January 26th to enter the country. Um, and I'm wondering, as more people get vaccinated, is there going to be a requirement of proof of vaccination in order to fly? Is that going to be like the new future? Thank you. That's my last question. Yeah, I, I very much imagine it will be. It'll be akin to the yellow vaccine cards you used to need to carry when you're traveling to uh, tropical countries. So you're gonna you're gonna need that that COVID card, um, I suspect, um, for travel in the near future. I haven't seen anything about that being enacted yet, um, but I anticipate that that will become our new reality. All right. Thanks for that call, caller. Let's take another call. We have time. Sure. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Can you turn your radio off, please? Yeah. Hi, that's you. Okay. Um, I was wondering why there's not more transparency with the number of um, vaccines that are actually available in our county. And it seems like they're coming in every week. They should be able to um, have somebody from the county be on one of your shows and say exactly how many uh, vaccines are available. And also was wondering why there's so many people who are 75 and over that have consistently been calling in and asking you guys where they, how they can sign up and how to get vaccinated and nobody can really give them a satisfactory answer. 
whereas everybody um, who it seems like a lot of other people are getting vaccinated that are not before the age 75 and up. Yeah, I, so I, I agree with all of your, I not to say questions, but commentary or perhaps even complaints. Um, I, I frankly think this tiered system is, is absurd, um, and I've said that multiple times on this show. It was one thing to vaccinate sort of the critical, and I, see, I mean critical, infrastructure that would keep our healthcare standing during this pandemic. Um, but beyond that, really, all of these other essential workers, um, it should have just, they should have been done in an age-based system. You know, teachers in this county are vaccinated and yet are not teaching in person. So that, that really doesn't make sense yet, and it's not clear that schools are going to open on February 15th. So really, they should not have been made a priority. It should have been right. it should have been done by age, um, and that should have been a national policy. As for transparency, the problem, I, I don't think that there's necessarily an effort to keep things opaque. Um, I think part of the problem is there is not a lot of clarity as to when the vaccine is coming in. It's also coming in through multiple channels because we don't have a coherent or cohesive healthcare system in this country. And so in this county, it comes into public health, it comes into Adventist, it comes in through Bureau of Indian Affairs, it comes in through the uh, pharmacies, and none of those agencies or organizations is necessarily talking in real time with one another about how much vaccine they're getting in and how much they're getting out the door. I know that Adventist and to some extent the county are doing a good job of publishing their numbers on a weekly basis, um, and they are pushing the vaccine out now, which is good, but there's still not sort of the real-time clarity. Large, a large component of the blame, however, rests entirely with lack of top-down control. And so it's the federal government that's distributing the vaccine. They're not saying who or to where or when. And then it comes to the states, and the states aren't really saying how much they're getting in or how much they're sending out or where or when and how it's going out. And so the county and the local agencies are left struggling with a incoherent data feed, um, and a lot of people are frustrated by the lack of clarity. I agree, though, that in the absence of good information, bad information thrives. And, you know, that's why when Alicia called me an hour ago and saying the county's bailing, I decided to come down and do the radio show again because I've been trying for a year now to speak to some clarity about this whole pandemic when really there hasn't been much leadership on this issue, you know, from the top all the way down to our county. Um, and so that's, you know, that's why I'm here. I hear your frustration and I agree with your criticisms entirely. I'd also like to mention that um, there's a couple of things I'm noticing at the county level, which is one is a very, very strapped and stressed county uh, infrastructure so a lot of turnover and staff so we had a pretty good relationship with the previous public information officer and and she moved on to another job i'm not saying that's because of stress but she did and now there's you know some new folks who are figuring out the process for communicating with the media we also had a public health officer change in the middle of this we had dr Dewan, and now we have dr corin so i think that that's been one of the factors and then the other one is that uh, in the midst of all of this stress and pressure that everyone's under i don't think it's always self-evident why 
they should communicate with the public as an urgent priority. I think sometimes that that priority gets kind of swept <laughs> along with all of the other urgent priorities that they're dealing with. And while it seems obvious to us that they should be in touch with us and let the public know, because we're the part of the, we're the public in public health. That's sort of the we're sort of the purpose and the reason. Uh, but with everything else that they're dealing with, it it seems like sometimes that's not as obvious or as maybe as easy to pull off. So that's been my observation. And the fact that they paid $100,000 to somebody who lives in Southern California that is absolutely doing nothing for us. Yeah, I, I, I can't really speak to that, frankly. Not in any way that can be live on the air. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty disgusted with the whole county situation and how they're dealing with this. I mean, I I really feel like it's been um, mishandled, and I can just keep calling them and complaining about it. I don't know if it will do any good. But it seems like the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and that's not... It feels like it's kind of a leftover of maybe Trumpism or something. I don't know. Well, you know, it's as as I point out, it's really hard to sort of change course on this pandemic just because Biden's been in the office now for what ten days. Um, we can't we cannot expect a radical transformation of the coronavirus policy in this nation. Um, that's just not reasonable or rational. We can't make that happen that quickly. There are so many things that should have been done so long ago in this pandemic um, that we are still dealing with on a day to day basis in this county and in this state and in this country that even the most rigorous, um, hardworking, most science-based group of people in the world aren't going to be able to turn this around in any time soon. We are talking months before rational, coherent, science-based policy is going to start to translate into actual effects on the ground. Well, thank you for your efforts. It just seems like somebody, um, you know, from the county should be getting on the radio and being more um, forward with what's happening and what their plan is. And the fact I, that I agree. I was... Teachers have been, you know, given all, and they're not they're not going to go back to teaching now that we have these variants. But they're, everybody who has their vaccines, they're happy. So um, the rest of us are a little bit not happy. I, I uh, thank understand. You. Thank you for your call. Let them eat Johnson & Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Just hope it's better than their baby powder. <laughs> I know. Oh, God. Don't. Oh. Well. We're five minutes over. I think good. that's enough. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Dr. Colfax, for coming in and, and substituting. <laughs> You're quite welcome. Thank you, callers. I always find it fun listening to people's thoughts and questions and grievances. Well, yes, we're a large community with a lot of different points of view. It's not like we can think of every question that people have. So I really, really appreciate everybody calling in. I'm sure for every caller, there's you know a lot of people who have the same question on their minds. So it's really helpful that you kind of brave the anxiety and the nerves and call in and ask the question. We really appreciate it. What about my anxiety and nerves? Do you you have that? No. <laughs> You're an emergency room doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that that was like part of the qualification. Anyway, this is Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. We'll be back on Monday at 3 o'clock for our regular local coronavirus update. Uh, I know that the county is planning to do their hour-long briefing from 2 to 3 
next Friday, a week from today. So we'll be getting information from the county. We'll put that out on the radio for you, uh, just in case you don't have access to YouTube or Facebook. We'll, we'll be live broadcasting that. And we'll be back, again, like I said, on Monday. So thanks a lot. Be safe, everybody. Have a good weekend. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.